verse 19 here in Philippians 2. And Paul now is going to give us a couple of examples, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And he says in verse 19, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. And I want you to see that this is a two-way street throughout this passage, that Paul is concerned for them, He's concerned for his own present circumstances. He's really looking at this with a very well-rounded view and a picture of the necessity that we have to be engaged in one another's lives, to, to be part of the body of Christ. And so he says, For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. And so he's picking out some one of his friends at his own demise, uh, at his own detriment, He's going to send Timothy. He can use Timothy. Remember, he's in prison in Rome. It's a lonely place, and Timothy is there with him, been ministering to him. As I shared with you before, unless you had someone to take care of your basic needs, there's a good chance that you'd die in a Roman prison. Timothy is one of those guys. But he cares so much about the church in Philippi that he's willing to send his own friend, this wonderful co-patriot in ministry, Timothy. He's going to send Timothy to go minister to the people in Philippi. For all seek their own and not the things which are of Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character that as a son with his father, he has served me in the gospel. And remember at that day and time that there, there were no vocational colleges. And normally when someone would learn a skill or a talent, including how to preach the gospel, how to be in ministry, it was normally a relationship that was father to son. It was, it was one person training another, taking an interest in that person and seeing a gifting in them and then transmitting that knowledge and that, the, those wonderful gifts personally to someone. Very different than our world. Our world would send people away. You know, it's like you send your kids off to college and hope they come back worth something. You know, but now we send them off to college, they come back mostly with debt. Paul is going to invest in Timothy, and Timothy is now going to begin to pay those dividends of that investment for the kingdom first, and also for Paul's wonderful picture of of how God's used him in this person's life. It's a beautiful picture of ministry. When you care to invest in someone else's life, you will likely live long enough to see God use that person in ministry somewhere, and you'll receive that report back. Sometimes it's your own children. Maybe it's somebody that's, you know, you led to the Lord early in life, and then all of a sudden that comes back, this wonderful picture. And therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust that in the Lord, that I myself shall come to you shortly. And yet I considered it, verse 25 says, necessary to send Epaphroditus, my fellow worker, fellow soldier, and your messenger, And the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all, distressed, because you had heard that he was sick. And for indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but to me also. And again, see the two directions that this travels. Paul has genuine concern for his friends, and he has genuine concern, the right kind of concern, even for himself lest I should also have sorrow upon sorrow. Two ordinary guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus, who were actually pictures, if you will, uh, of true servants, superstars in the kingdom. 
Now, we live in a world, and and it's important for us to understand that our world is very self-centered and selfish. When you think about the world that we live in, how else can a 13-year-old girl be getting on a a subway train uh, in Seattle in a bus tunnel and is caught on tape that she's about to be severely, savagely beaten and the security guards stand by and do nothing for fear that they're going to be sued? That's the kind of world we live in. We live in a world where everybody is more concerned about themselves than they are other people. And so we get that picture on a daily basis. Uh, A few years ago in San Bernardino, we had a reporter from the San Bernardino Sun who dressed up in homeless garb, basically really uh, ratty, dirty clothes, and laid in the street on E Street, very near the city hall, He laid there for four and a half hours before one person even asked if he was okay. He's laying in the street. We live in a world that is concerned with self. God wants us to be concerned with others. God's desire is that we would be engaged in one another's lives. And in fact, we're going to see some things in this passage that that reminds us that the life of a real believer, a life of a true child of God, is as a sacrificial servant. In the first parts of this chapter, we've seen the description of a true sacrificial servant. We've seen the dynamics of a true sacrificial servant. And now we're going to see some duties or some character of the true sacrificial servant. And the first thing that we see is to be an encouragement. How we desperately need the gift of encouragement in operation in the church today. Amen? In our world today. Look, it's simple. Life's hard and then you die. I mean, that's kind of the way things are in this world, isn't it? You know, you may have some good times, you may have some wonderful times, but in a general sense, life is actually fairly difficult. We go through those things. I mean, not too many people wake up in the morning, gee, I just really hope I have cancer today. You know, boy, I, I, I'm kind of hoping my kid gets in a car wreck today. I'm, I'm really, you know, I just want to get a ticket over there going to Costco in Hawthorne. You know, it's just I can't wait to go through that light and get the thing in the mail. And 500 bucks later, and yes, I actually did that. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, who put this up there? Don't they know that I'm trying to get over there to buy something? You, you see, life is difficult. We need to be encouraged. We need to be built up. We need to be available in each other's lives to be encouragers. Verse 19 reminds us, look, he wants to send Timothy because he wanted to encourage them and he would be encouraged by knowing how they're doing. You know, when I'm talking to people and they're saying, oh, you know, I've got this going on in my life, and then they come back and they say, yeah, God delivered me or God healed me or, you know, God did give me a job. Those are encouraging things where you have an opportunity to be used to remind everyone else, you know what, God's still on the throne, amen? God is still on the throne. And so he does this to them, and it's so much a picture of the Lord Jesus himself. And there's a couple of things that we can look at in the life of Jesus. And you can see, look, sheep are dumb. Amen? But Jesus is the good shepherd. If you've ever been around sheep, sheep are, they're just, they are the epitome uh, of not bright in the animal world. 
I mean, they lay down and, and they can't get up. They eat things they shouldn't eat. They go where they shouldn't go. If somebody doesn't lead them, they get in trouble. I mean, that's why we're associated with, called in essence, we are the sheep of his pasture, amen? We need the good shepherd to come alongside and kind of help us. That's the way we should be towards one another. You should remember that your fellow sheep at times need you to come alongside and help them get to where they need to go. Give them the things that they need. Maybe you need to encourage, hey, that water is poisonous. The good grass is over there. I munched on that already. This is way better over here. You know what I'm saying? You know, you're in the sheepfold. It's like, Because we all think the grass is greener on the outside of the sheepfold, don't we? We're all like, oh, do you see that over there? Yeah, it's like three feet tall. It's poison oak. Jesus is the good shepherd. We're to be like that. We're to come alongside and help herd wrangle sheep. How about the potter? Anybody in here glad that God put you back on the wheel and reshaped you into something beautiful? Amen? Think about it for a second. We're all reworked pots. We weren't capable of holding water and God threw us back on the wheel and molded that clay and beat us down and yes, we went through tough times to get there but then he shaped us into some beautiful vessel that's fit for honor. We're to be like that in other people's lives. We're to care for them. We're to say, look, you're, you know, because we look at, this is the way we do it. We look at what's going on in somebody's life and we make a valuation very often of the worth of that person based on what they look like right now, don't we? Well, they can do this or they can't do that. There's all kinds of things that we would associate there. Well, they've got this gift or that gift. They don't have this gift. They don't have that gift. Aren't you glad that God sees past all that? He just sees the lump of clay that can be shaped into anything he wants. He's the potter. That's an encouragement to us. If you're here today and right now you're kind of, you know, you're just a bowl, that's okay. God's the master potter. He uses bowls. He might even reshape you into a vase. But he does that for all of us. He loves us. He cares for us. He encourages us. How about a farmer? Farming's hard work. Farming is not easy. We have the, you know, in case you haven't noticed, when you go to Vons, there's no farm field right next door to it. Those veggies came from somewhere else. You know, sometimes we who live in, in you know, the cities of America, we kind of forget that there's people up in, you know, Washington State who are farming winter wheat. If you've ever seen all that bread that you really like, you can confess it. You all like bread. I like mine. I like my butter with a little bread on it. But, but you, you know what I'm saying? To make that bread, you've got to have flour. To make that flour, you have to have wheat. And somebody had to farm that wheat. God's like that. He doesn't look at those thousands of acres of barren land that roll over hills. If you ever watch when they farm winter wheat, you got some farmer who gets up at 4 o'clock in the morning before it's even light, turns on the light to his tractor, and he starts on the edge of a field. He starts making laps around the field just to get the furrows laid down. And two days later, he finally gets the whole field plowed. It's hard work. God does that in our life. Sometimes he's, he has to drive over some of us quite a few times. Amen? There's some fallow ground that needs to be dissed up. And, and, but he doesn't give up on us. He keeps working until there's something that pops out of your life. Work with other people. Do the hard thing. Be an encourager to them. 
And so as we see some of these qualities in this passage, look, one that I see right off the bat, verse 20, is sincere care and concern for others' well-being. He says, look, there's no one of equal soul to me. I don't know anybody any better than this. And even though I'm going to miss his care for me, I want you to have the benefit of having Timothy with you. So I'm sending him to you. It's actually going to hurt me. I'm sending him to you. It will be a a blessing to you. It will actually be a detriment to my life. But I want you to be taken care of. That's concern for other people. In verse 21, we see, and this is something we struggle with in our Western culture. You know, when you have magazines that are, you know, named Self and Me (laughs) and I'm Awesome, you know, we, we have some issues here in our country. We're, we're narcissistic, and we need to stop it. We need to get past ourselves. Now, I'm not trying to indict fellow Christians, neither was Paul. It's simply saying that when we look at other people's lives, we need to be concerned, not so self-absorbed, that we can't see what's going on in somebody else's life. We need to look past ourselves and look towards those who actually uh, could benefit how, how about continuing to be both a teacher and a learner? Something I can tell you about pastoral ministry, you never stop learning. No matter how long you've been in ministry, you need to keep learning. So there's always something that we can learn in the Lord. There's something God's doing in my life today. And we see this in Timothy and in Epaphroditus. They were taught... And they had learned, and so they were able to teach others, but at the same time, they continued to learn themselves. So important for us in the body of Christ, because you will cease to grow the moment you stop learning. When you think you've arrived, you haven't. If you believe you're all the way at the top, you're not. You're someplace else. You need to continue to be able to be taught and to also Teach, teaching and learning. Paul was caring that way, and yet at the same time, God was still at work in his life. One of the things that you'll see here, there's a word that's used three times in, the, in these first few verses, and that's send. You know, we, we want to send people out from this church. We don't want to just build this church up, though that's important. We want to continue to do that too, but we want to send the gospel where it needs to go. That's why we're planting churches. That's why we're building churches. Why we have missionaries. It's why we do what we do. The goal is to send where others have need. We can't lose sight of that. Check this out. There's no sin in caring for yourself. Look at verse 23, and therefore I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. There is a place that we need to remember that it's perfectly okay to look at you and realize that you are not superhuman. You're not God. You do have limitations. There are things that God's doing in your life, and so you need to be open to the Lord taking care of you as well. Let me, let me put it this way. A dead, diseased, and divorced you does God no good. Amen? If you're not taking care of you physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, provisionally, you need to do what you need to do for you. That's an absolute fact. That is not 
something that is, that is contrary to you being others-focused. You can still be others-focused while doing the right thing for yourself. Nobody can do your devotions in the morning. You need to do them. Nobody can have your prayer life for you. You need to have your prayer life. Just like nobody can eat your breakfast for you, amen? Nobody can eat your, you know, you need to eat your broccoli. You need to take care of your own temple, which is the, the, the temple of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? You only get one of those, by the way. So Paul's saying, look, I'm going to check and see how it goes with me. There's just human limitations. As soon as I figure that out, God speaks to me, then I'm going to do what he tells me. A fifth thing, so important, family of God. Would you see this with me? Verse 24, but I trust in the Lord that I myself shall come to you. It actually could be easily translated and is translated exactly the same Greek words in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 19, if the Lord is willing. In other words, he's looking at the whole thing, this entire perspective is God, what do you want? God, you call the shots. Are you open this morning to God changing your plans? You see, Scripture says that we are to make our plans and then let God ordain our steps. That's the way it works. In other words, our default setting should be to do something for the Lord. But as you're doing something for the Lord, be open to Him changing what you're doing. Moving you maybe a little different direction, giving you a little encouragement to to be a little different than what you may have had planned for today. You see, if you're not that way, you're going to drive past the person who needs your help. You're going to walk past the person who needs prayer. You're not going to share with that person who needs to hear the word of the Lord because you'll be so self-absorbed with your plan that you will forget that he's ordaining your steps. Let God call the shots. He may, he may wipe out your plans. He may mess with your little world a little bit occasionally. He may do something you're not ready for. It's a wonderful thing when God does that. You never know where you might end up. You might be sitting in the mountains someplace going, Lord, why am I here? And then all of a sudden, well, it's because I've got another plan for your life. And it's not here. Since South Bay. You, you see, let God call the shots. Sometimes those divine appointments end up being the very best things that happen in your day. How many of us have had that opportunity? Maybe somebody was brought into your life specifically so you could pray with that person. Probably many of us in this room have had the opportunity to lead somebody to the Lord that you didn't even plan on meeting. Amen? You're going to see them in heaven. Let God call the shots. He gives these, both these, these men really, but specifically Epaphroditus. He gives them three titles, and it's really easy to see, and it's very important to see. Verse 25, and yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. And he gives three titles. My brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, but you're a messenger. And the one who ministered to my need. And so you get this picture, and family, can I remind you that if you're married and you're here today, your husband is also your brother. Your wife is also your sister. 
Your sons and your daughters, though they are your children, are also your brother and your sister, as are your grandparents and your parents. And every person in here is actually in your family because there's only one kind of believer, and that is those who have believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and as are saved. Amen? So we're family as believers. We are literally in the same family. We've been adopted by God into his family. And so we are brothers and sisters in that sense. Don't miss that. Sometimes we think, well, they're in another family. You have those families in your, probably in your neighborhood. Man, I'm glad I wasn't born into that family. We think those things, right? We're brothers and sisters. My brother, my fellow believer, my fellow worker. Now, many of you, I'm sure, have had the opportunity. Some of you, maybe not. You've probably worked in some kind of profession where someone else's job made yours either easier or a whole bunch more difficult or completely impossible at times. Amen? You know, if you have a production line job, this is really easy to see. If you have one of those things where there's a cumulative effort that happens, like in construction, to where, you know, you got to have somebody lays the ground plumbing, and then the foundation, and then the walls go up, and all those kind of things, it's easy to see. But we are fellow workers on the same project. That project is to see his kingdom come and his will be done. Amen? So we are fellow workers to that end. What you do and how you do it directly affects my life and mine yours. You may not see that that way, but that's the way God describes it to us. We are fellow workers. In essence, we have the same job, and that's to preach the gospel until he takes us off this rock. And so as we do that, we're in it together. So he says, look, you're fellow workers, fellow soldiers, There's a camaraderie that happens when you're in the battlefield together. There's a camaraderie that happens. Maybe you teach at the same school. There's a camaraderie that happens in law enforcement. There's a camaraderie that happens when you work at a hospital together. There's camaraderie, if you think about it that way, as fellow soldiers. When you do something together and there is risk involved, you get closer because you know that your life depends on the other person. And so he says, you're fellow soldiers. You're on the same side. We're fighting the same battle. That's all I can tell you. The the poor folks from Westboro Baptist, they're fighting the wrong enemy. Because the enemy is Satan. It's not some other church that preaches the gospel. It is Satan. You want to fight the right fight. And you want to be on the same side as everyone else with that regard. We are fellow soldiers. We're in the gospel trenches together. We think on these things. What ultimately happens is we need to be fully committed to that end. Notice what it says there in verse 26. Since he was longing for you all, was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. Notice the focus here. He's longing to go see them, but he's distressed because they might be bummed out that he's sick. You see how amazingly fully committed that is to other people? Look, I don't want to tell them that I'm sick because it might bum them out that I'm sick. He's sick unto death and he doesn't want them to know. How many people are exactly the opposite of that in the body of Christ? They get a hangnail. Oh, I'm suffering, brother. 
I was like 12 minutes in, in the line at In-N-Out on Crenshaw, like almost lost my salvation. You know what I'm saying? We, we like, we tell each other all these crazy things. It's like, we're so consumed. We have to be fully committed to what God wants, not so focused on what we want or what we need. You see, otherwise you get stopped dead in your tracks. You're, you're all of a sudden sitting there, you know, is it your sickness, is it family? Those things are all important, by the way. Not dismissing that those things are important things. Not saying that they don't matter, they do. But at the end of the day, when you focus on other people and what they need, you're going to have the resources you need. That's God's job. His people shall have all that they have need of according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's what scripture says. We're going to get there in this book. You, you see, when you think about it, we have to be fully committed to that end. Yeah, it's, gonna, it's actually going to hurt him to send these two guys away. But there's, there's these two different points of view, and we need to have both of them in view. There's the altruistic side. There's a side that says, look, I'm going to be so focused on other people that I am willing to do anything for them including die myself getting there. That's what we call altruism. There's nothing in it for you. It's purely for the good of the other person. But there's the other side, which is the self-oriented side and correctly self-oriented side. You need to take care of yourself because you have nothing to give the person that you're trying to do good things for and with if you yourself are dead. And so he says, keep these things in balance. Be fully committed. You don't have to sacrifice totally one for the other. You can do what is right for other people while taking the proper care for yourself. Paul shows that. He, he gives us this, this picture, if you will. And, and as you look at this, you're going to find someone who's completely transparent. Notice verse 28 as we finish the chapter. And therefore I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice, notice this, and I may be less sorrowful. Yeah, the great apostle Paul actually sorrowed. The great apostle Paul had concerns. The great apostle Paul didn't have all the answers. The great apostle Paul was not perfect. The great apostle Paul was very transparent. That's why he called himself the chief of sinners. That's why he said, oh, wretched man that I am. Does that sound like somebody who thinks he's perfect? No, oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul was transparent. And you need to be transparent as well. You see, people can't pray for you properly. They can't love you effectively. They will not be able to be what you need when you need it unless you're transparent with them. One of the great problems in marriage is that we are not transparent with our spouses. We, we kind of build up little walls and we kind of make, uh, you know, this is who I really am. No, it's not who you are. You actually are really concerned. And then you, your, your husband or your wife asks you, well, what's wrong? Oh, nothing. That's not true, is it? There's something going on. Now, you need to protect them from the superfluous things, but you need to be open with the things that matter. Transparency. It's huge. We live in a world that seems to not reward transparency. You just hide everything. You want to see that in operation? It's called Facebook. Yeah? You know what I'm saying? It's like, that ain't you. That's your high school picture. 
yeah, this is a picture of me working out at the gym. You haven't, the only Jim you know is a guy named Jim. <laughs> Be transparent. And so he closes this way, he said, Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem because of the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his own life, to supply what was lacking in your service towards me. Paul says, look, This is a superstar. Hold him in high regard. Learn from that example. Allow God to do that in your life. And and family, this is such a wonderful place for us to to kind of think and evaluate our own lives. Look at your life. Look at my life. And say, okay, God, what do you want to do with me? How do you want me to respond to these things? Because when we see God's purposes and plans, he gives us his power. When we recognize him as Lord, then, then he gives us direction. As we join him where he's already at work, we have him at work in us. And we can become superstars, amen? And then maybe we can go home. And that would be a great way to end the day, wouldn't it? His kingdom come and his will be done. You want to be a superstar on the team. There's a couple of guys that you can follow. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these examples, Lord, for Timothy, for Epaphroditus, for Paul himself. Lord, how we could model them and be other-centered for sure, but at the same time recognize that you're at work in our own lives. And we thank you for that work. We thank you for not giving up on us, God, and And pray that as you mold us and shape us and transform us, that we would be able to be put in that list, God. Follow Susie. Follow Mark. Follow Jimmy. Follow Charlie. Follow Nini. Lord, just look at her. See what she's doing. Follow Connie. Thank you, God, for examples in our lives. May we be examples to others. We bless you, we praise you, we ask all this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand?